Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Welcome to the Elite Advisor Blueprint, the podcast for world-class financial advisors. I'm Brad Johnson, VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, and it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. On today's episode, I'm talking to Jason Kalipa. Jason was crowned the fittest man on earth in 2008 and is regarded as one of the most accomplished athletes in CrossFit Games history with multiple top 10 finishes. He's the founder of NC Fit, which is a global company with thousands of participants worldwide aimed at making fitness effective, fun, and accessible. He's also the author of As Many Reps as Possible, where he reveals simple principles to take control of your life and harness your true potential. Jason and I first crossed paths last year at Jason Gaynard's Mastermind Talks event. And after just a few morning workouts and interactions with him, it not only became clear how he became an elite CrossFit athlete, but also how he's taken that and applied it to becoming an incredible coach and entrepreneur. And I'm honored to have him on the show and share with you all just how much financial services actually has in common with fitness and how to incorporate the mindset of a world-class athlete into your own business. Here are a few of the highlights we get into. Number one, how can you take your clients from financially unfit to fit and why having a proprietary process is absolutely vital to building and scaling a successful practice. Number two, how to hold your team accountable and how Jason reacted when a mentor told him he had a hobby, but not a business. This is a critical lesson for every advisor out there. Number three, the story of his daughter's battle with leukemia and why scaling his business gave him the power to take a vital step back during a critical moment in his life. Okay, before we dive into today's episode, as a special thank you to you Blueprint listeners, Jason went above and beyond. He shipped me a box full of autographed copies of his book, As Many Reps as Possible, and I will be mailing them out until they are completely gone. Not only is it a great book, but it has the added bonus of being signed by a former CrossFit Games champion for those CrossFit fans out there. So here's what to do next if you'd like your free copy. All that I ask is that you leave an honest review out on iTunes for our show to make it easy. There's a graphic right at the top of the show notes out at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 6464. Or if you happen to be listening in on a mobile player, simply just swipe down on most of them to leave a review. And then once you've left a review, just drop us an email via brad at bradleyjohnson.com. Just give us your iTunes username and the best mailing address, and we'll drop you a copy in the mail as a thank you. That simple. Also, quick apology to our international listeners outside of the U.S. who have been kind enough to leave reviews. Due to high shipping prices, we can only ship these domestically. So please just go support Jason and grab a copy at your local bookstore or out on Amazon. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening in. And without further delay, my conversation with Jason Kalipa. Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast. I'm joined by special guest today, Jason Kalipa. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Indeed, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So officially my first world champion to ever have on the podcast. So uh, this is a first. Uh, I do want to start with a quick story how we first crossed paths. 
uh, Jason Gaynard runs a cool event called Mastermind Talks. And you were out there last year, Deer Valley, uh, the Montage. So beautiful resort. And, you know, I like to think that I take care of myself, you know, and, you know, get in the gym still at, at this age. But one thing I do recommend is don't do your first CrossFit workout with the former CrossFit Games champion at, at 8,300 feet elevation because you put us through a couple pretty decent workouts that I, I wasn't sure I was going to get all the way through them. So thanks for that as we start the conversation here today. Yeah, you're welcome. We were just trying to provide a, a premium service to you. So I'm glad we were able to get you in a workout. Well, there, there's so many things I want to dive into today. Um, so first off, what I love, I just got done reading your book. So as many rounds as possible, which those uh, CrossFitters out there, they'll obviously understand where that title comes from. So because this podcast is for financial advisors, who many of them might not really know what CrossFit is, or, or maybe even who you are, even though you're really well known in that space, can you just give us a, an overview? What is CrossFit? How has that played a part in your life? And, and obviously, we'll go into the business and family and a lot of other places the book goes as well. Yeah, I mean, I got introduced to the fitness space years and years ago. I used to work at the conventional gym, worked the front desk, got into sales, was introduced to CrossFit, which is basically a, a functional training program with group class instruction. I was introduced to it, decided that's what I wanted to do for a living. So I opened up my first gym. At the same time, I ended up winning the CrossFit Games. I then competed there for a long time, eight years. As we built our business, um, then we expanded our business into several different verticals. And essentially what CrossFit is, the reason why I fell in love with it was the idea that you were racing against the clock and you always had someone there to kind of support you on that fitness journey. And I saw for so many years, just people going to the gym and just aimlessly walk around. This gave them the guidance and direction to get them the results they were looking for. And so early on, I really fell in love with the idea. As I've matured and the industry's matured, now we've pivoted and now our business is kind of in new areas. Mm -hmm. But the foundation is still, you know, what I believe in, which is, you know, kind of these warehouse functional style gyms with a coach, I think are, are keys to kind of getting the results you're looking for. And the book really comes at it with this as many reps as possible mentality where you're setting a clock, you're being present, you're being focused, you're getting after it. And that's something I think, whether you're in the financial sector, the fitness sector, it's something you could take in your life and hopefully incorporate. Yeah. And I think... Um... As I dove into the book, you know, you'd, you'd think the fitness space is so much different than financial services, but all of the principles apply, you know, just business in general, family, finance, everything. And so like, as one, one thing I want to dive into, because I, I fell in love with CrossFit back in, I think I took my level one cert in 2012 and it was just, you know, being a former athlete in college. I'd really poured in. And when I, as I was reading your book, you were pouring into your business, but at the same time, you're, you're literally competing at the highest level on a world stage on the CrossFit side. So what was it like at the core of how these workouts work, the as many rounds as possible? Like, why did you fall in love? Like, like what was like that first CrossFit workout? If you even like go back, I think you said in the book, your original guy, what was his oh, name? Austin McGeeby. Yeah, yeah the, the, the kind of your, your buddy that introduced you, and then there was um, the guy that ran the the old school. Oh yeah, gym. Freddie Freddie Camacho. Yeah. Yes, Freddie Camacho. So so tell us about like walking into that gym the first day. Like you're kind of like, what's this thing? I, obviously, you were working out in a gym at the time, but why did you fall in love with CrossFit? Like, what was it? Well, I, I just fell in love with the. I mean, it wasn't necessarily we can call it CrossFit, call it whatever we want. I fell in love with the idea of the work ethic and the grit and the get after it mentality and 
having a coach, having a clock. I mean, my first workout, I show up in this gym, which happened to have part jujitsu, part CrossFit, part Muay Thai. <laughs> really? And Freddie Camacho, you know, he was a, a police officer, SWAT member. And basically, he just kind of took me through my first workout. And it, and it really just, what I think I fell in love with it about it, and it took me a while to really kind of wrap my head around it, uh-huh. was just the idea of getting more work done in less time. And I was so used to kind of doing a little bit of this, move on to this, check my phone. Well, at that time, phones weren't as popular, but, right. you know, do a little bit of curls, do this, do that. And with this, it was like, hey, for the next 10 minutes, I just wanted to get after it. And surrounding yourself with like-minded people that were prepared to kind of go into the trenches and get the work done and then lay on the floor in exhaustion afterwards was something that I had never experienced. You know, it, it kind of brought me back to football days. Mm-hmm. It kind of brought me back to like that mentality of, you know, the community side, the hard work side. And I just found it carrying over in other areas of my life. And that's really when I knew that it was something I missed. Because I played football throughout high school, and then when I went to college, for a number of reasons, I didn't end up playing, and I, I missed it. And mm-hmm. CrossFit had a tendency to fill that void for me, and um, that was nice. It's this weird. It's almost like this sadistic thing. Those workouts, because yeah, I mean, it's like I remember having butterflies. Fran was the first workout I ever tried, which that was a horrible idea. But I remember having butterflies and it doesn't look as hard as you think it's going to be, but then you get into it and just your mindset's the first thing that goes like your body's going, but your mind's going all at the same time. And I, I see a lot of top performers there. They gravitate towards those style of workouts just because it really is like you're battling yourself the whole time. So can you take like, you talk a lot about mindset in the book. And you even had a mindset coach. There's a lot of guys listening to this podcast that have business coaches. But can you speak to how what you learned in the gym, pushing yourself to the extreme, how that, number one, how it applied in in your fitness journey, but then how that also crossed over to business and what you took from that? Well, I mean, I think it's the best thing we can do for ourselves. You know, you start talking about, okay, let's just say you're a high-performing finance person. Well, you got to go into these meetings. You got to be able to perform. You got to be able to compartmentalize. You got to be able to understand what's in your control. You got to utilize mindset tips that help you execute your best ability. Well, how do you train those is the question. Well, you can't always put yourself in these top tier meeting positions. You can't Mm -hmm. always put yourself out there. And so instead, you could try and take what's in your control, which is getting really uncomfortable in the gym, getting uncomfortable in the garage, whatever, and learn to overcome moderate amounts of kind of like these... um, these small little challenges you run into and you're intentionally saying to yourself, Hey, I'm going to get after it in this workout. My goal is to do this. And when you don't accomplish that, you got to learn how to overcome that mentally and create the mindset of compartmentalizing, you know, what was in my control today? What isn't, how do I utilize positive self-talk? These were all skills that I really developed in the mindset coach in the gym that then carried over tremendously outside the gym. Not to mention if you go into the gym and you bust your ass at 5 a.m., the chances of you not trying to perform for the rest of the day are pretty slim mm-hmm. because you're developing this mindset of kind of grit, tenacity, get after it. And you're learning how to overcome a little bit of adversity. And um, I think it just carries over so well. And I, and I saw that not only in, in fitness, of course, but obviously in our business. You know, I find it really hard to believe that most of the people that come into our gym are super high performers because they're not going to come in and push themselves that hard and then again, give in for the rest of the day. And then secondly, how do you then take that mindset 
this grit, this tenacity, this overcoming adversity. And then how does that translate into real life? And, you know, I've seen it personally occur where you're developing these mindset tools in the gym under like limited amount of stress. Like at the end of the day, if you do a great workout, awesome. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. You're okay. But then developing that mindset then transfers into when real life, your kid gets sick, you know, you and your wife are having arguments. How do you learn to compartmentalize it, overcome it and create a, a positive path moving forward? And I think exercise is a great way to develop that. Yeah. There, there were a couple things I took the self-talk. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I first got into this industry, you know, financial services or sales in general, you, you started in sales on the gym side and, and did well for yourself. You know, it's all this self self-talk guru, Tony Robbins audios, you know, all that stuff. And I remember first getting into it and hearing this first thing about mindset. I'm like, oh, that's that rah-rah stuff. But what's crazy is as you start to hang around successful people, there's this common theme where that is a very core thing that you find to be very true. I mean, did you find that in athletics, business, everything you've done to be true? Yeah. I mean, well, what was unique for me is like, I would be in the gym performing and then you'd see people who are in the gym that like kicked my ass. And then we get into competition and I'd always beat them. And that's when it really started ticking to me that something happens in competition where you need to be able to compartmentalize. It's not a physical thing, right? Physically, everybody's on a similar playing field, give or take. But it's the mental side. It's the ability to overcome the challenges that can really separate you from your competitors on the floor. And so I started asking myself, well, if it's helping me on the floor in competition, how else could it help me in business or in my family environment? And uh, a lot of it all comes down to compartmentalizing your mindset. And it sounds fluffy. I get it. But that's really the difference between a guy like Steph Curry making his three-pointer with the shot clock coming down, right? him being able to be that gamer, just the guy who could just yeah. make shots, like, and the guy who can't do that. And, um, it's, it's just about how are they reframing the situation in their head yeah. in preparation for that? But then how does that relate to a big business? Me? I mean, I know you've gone into them. I know I have too, where you're in there and you're getting ready for something big. Well, instead of being nervous, you got to kind of have that earned confidence. I talk about in the book where, you know, you've put in all the back work to be ready for that meeting. Now, how do you go out there and execute it your best way possible? And that's basically what you could gather from your workouts. Mm -hmm. I like how the reframing, there was one statement you made in the book. You're deep into one of these workouts and we should probably, maybe we'll circle back around and really describe because the workouts you're talking about in the book and the workouts you performed are very different than the, what I was doing when I was playing college football, which was, you know, do five sets of super heavy bench and then rest for 10 minutes and then do another, you know, five reps. So they're very intense workouts, but you, you talked about reframing. You're like, rather than getting deep into this workout and like my, my legs are on fire, I can't do another rep. You reframed it a certain different way. Can you go into that and, and kind of well, how I mean, you it, flipped it? Well, I mean, imagine if you're someone listening who coaches people in financial analysis or planning, right? When you coach them, you're mentoring them. You're softly encouraging them. You're finding a way to be an ambassador that helps them get to the next level. And as a coach, you're utilizing language that's positive in general, in nature. You're not going to say to somebody, hey, man, you suck at financial, you know, you suck this, whatever. But all of a sudden, when it's us, we, for some reason, always gravitate towards the negative. And so if you're in a workout, you instantly say, my legs hurt, this hurts, I can't breathe, whatever. Instead of reframing it to be like, well, what if I was coaching myself? 
I'd be saying, hey, find your breathing rhythm, you know, find your technique or whatever. And that was something that I really started incorporating in the garage that helped everywhere else. And, you know, we saw that really translate in real life when our daughter got sick and, you know, things were really, really bad. Because we had developed this set of skills in the gym, it really translated in real life where our brain learned to instantly find the positive instead of gravitating always towards the negative. Yeah, you uh, like to the workout and I'd want to get to your daughter because that's that's obviously a huge, huge thing, too. In the workout, you reframed it as instead of my legs hurting, it's I'm building muscle. I'm getting stronger. So it's like the glass half full lens that you started looking through, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, did you be amazed at what that does? But to develop that skill, you have to develop it in a daily reoccurring basis and you have to develop it in a way that's not at such a high risk. So like, for example, when you're trying to develop this skill, you wouldn't want to put yourself in a position where it's like a really tough, like life and death situation, right? You want to develop it where like winning is good, but if you lose or if you don't do as well, it's not the end of the world, right? It could be the equivalent of you going out for a mile run. Maybe you give in at, you know, one mile, but you really want to do two miles. Okay. Well, next time let's try and do better. Let's try and learn to overcome that. But at the end of the day, whether you do a mile or two miles, it's not like you're going to, you know, it's not like your life is at jeopardy. And those are the ways that you can slowly develop the mindset where you get to a mile the next time. And now you go 1.2 miles, 1.4 miles, and you're learning to mentally and physically break those barriers. And then that translates into, you know, everything else. Yeah. So I want to spend a little more time on kind of the athletic career, because I think that sets the stage for business and then how you translated that to family. So what's interesting is I really, I remembered like getting into CrossFit when you guys first got on ESPN. And I think that was like 2010, 11, somewhere around there. And just seeing these incredible work workouts, but you were actually in that well before it really kind of hit the mainstream. So I think you started in 07. Is that right? Yeah. I started like 06, 07, 06, but the the games were at the StubHub Center for the first year in 2010. And so that was really when things kind of elevated. I mean, the StubHub Center, you know, it's where the Galaxy plays down down in LA. Mm -hmm. And um, it used to be called the Home Depot Center. And it's just, I mean, it's legit, right? I mean, there's nothing else to say. It's a legit stadium. And we really felt like we were kind of coming up at that point. Oh, it's crazy to see how that, the whole movement it grew. So you start 2006, 2007, you literally win the whole thing in 2008. So like you're this new kid on the block kind of out of nowhere. So what was it like to kind of find this new passion and then boom, you're number one in the world. Like what did that do to you? Like mentally, what did it do to your image out there? How did that impact your life? Just going from well, I mean, not being on the scene, to the, being on the scene. At the time, we didn't really know the gravity. You know, after I won, there wasn't much money. It was on a ranch. It just, you know, it really wasn't that big of a deal, right? I mean, it was a big deal, but not huge. Like, we kind of laughed about it. It was more like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that happened. You know, we went to In-N-Out Burger after and just, it wasn't like a big deal. But it did help boost the business because we got a lot of web traffic in the beginning. So social media wasn't as big yet. But we got a lot of web traffic to our blog which helped our business start to grow. And that's right when I had opened the business, which was helpful. Um, but really at the time, we didn't really know. And then, you know, from 08 to 09, things grew exponentially. You know, you went from like 1,000 people in 08 to 5,000 people in 09. 
to then 10, it just kind of exploded at the Home Depot Center. And then 11, 12, 13, 14 were really like the, those were like the, the heydays. Those were like massive growth of CrossFit. And mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to stay at the top all those years and, and compete. I didn't know at the time it would change things for me. I was just doing it because I love to train hard. And as I was shifting, as I was competing year after year after year, I always told myself I never wanted to do it for money, never wanted to do it for fame. I wanted to do it for me because it's such a hard sport in the sense of like, it sucks so much mm-hmm. to do these events that if you don't have a strong reason why you're doing it, it's easy to give up. And I told myself like money and fame are not strong enough reasons for me to continue. I need to kind of have a deeper internal passion for it. Can you go through when you were training hard, what, what did they look like? What, what was your, just like quickly, you don't have to spend a ton of time. Well, I mean, I, people get a gravity of how much you poured into this to excel at that level. Yeah. I mean, like a month ago, I just competed in a big event called the rogue invitational where they had this legends event where they invited back kind of like the legends, right? And you're getting old, man. That, you're becoming a legend. Be careful. I know. <laughs> I know for that one, it's just about consistency. And so there's no days off. It's just consistency, right? It's, it's, really about getting after on a regular basis for a couple hours a day. Back in the day, you know, it, it looked like early morning session, hard cardio, fasting cardio, midday would be like traditional CrossFit with strength and then like couplets and triplets and metcons and stuff like that, AMRAPs. And then the evening would be more like a skill session, getting in volume. So it'd be morning, afternoon, evening, and in between, you know, trying to get in everything else I had to. And um, I would do that for years and years and years because I competed in such a long season because of what I was able to accomplish. I did what's called the Open, then you Regionals, then you the Games, then I would compete to represent the United States, and that almost became a year-round cycle. Yeah, and run a business at the same time. Well, that was what's cool, actually. Yeah, I mean, I I actually think that it helped me because I had to be so diligent in everything I was doing that I was just really aware of my time Mm -hmm. and because I didn't have time to waffle. You know, it's like, if I want to build a business, you know, compete well, there was no waffling. Like you got to go. Like there's no, no dilly dallying. Yeah. How many hours of your day were literally dedicated to training when you were training? Probably like two and a half of like legit, legit. Like I'm talking, yeah. I'd get home, turn on a clock and my wife would come in and yell at me because dinner was ready. And I'd go sit at the table, just basically sweating still, you know, I mean, that happened so many times. I cannot tell you. Because I wanted to get the work in, I set the clock to get it done, but then she wanted to have dinner and we would just kind of go back and forth. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it wasn't more, it wasn't better. It's just the effort that really got you to where you wanted to be. Yeah. All right. So let's go into a couple things and then I want to, I want to flip over because what's crazy, you're breaking former football player in college. You know, there's the stereotype of, you know, the dumb jock. Well, you're breaking that because I can tell you just sitting down with you at Mastermind Talks and the level that you're running your business at is super inspiring. And so I want to get to that because there's a lot that advisors can can take from that. But as we go through, I just kind of want to give for those that aren't super familiar with your career, basically, so 2008, you're kind of just a regular guy that likes to work out. You win the CrossFit games. 2009, you had a pretty big setback. and just can you speak to that because the first event basically crushed you what what, you were like almost dead last on the totem pole but then yeah yeah let me you tell the story i don't want to tell it go ahead 
Well, no, I mean, I, I was going into it. I didn't know how to control my nerves. I was the previous champ. I went out there and I just, I just fell apart. You know, I ended up passing out, um, blacked out. It was a seven K hill run, but it was like aggressive, like super, super aggressive, like straight up. And, um, I mean, some of it was on your hands and knees and I just found myself just overcome by events. I was overzealous. I, I couldn't control my emotions and passed out, woke back up and finished the event. I took 72nd out of 74 people, I think. And then from there, I just built my way back up. I took fifth that year, the way it was, you know, it is what it is that year. They started off with 75 people or whatever it was. And then they actually made cuts throughout the weekend. Had they not, maybe things would have been different. I actually could have, it just skewed the earlier events mm, because there's yeah. so many people, yeah. but it's irrelevant. Basically I, I bonked there. And from that year, you know, I took a first, a fifth, a 16th and 10. I learned a lot that year too. Then like a seventh, a fifth, a second, and a third. So I kind of moved my way back up onto the podium spots, which was cool. And, yeah. uh, you know, I got, I got no regrets. And then I went team for a year, learned a lot with that experience. We had a girl on our team, Tara ACL, and it just, it taught me a lot about camaraderie team. And looking back on it, I think there were some things that I learned about myself that I was very competitive and I allowed that competitive mindset to overcome what was right as a human being. Meaning like I wanted her to continue. I wanted, because I was so caught up in the competition, mm. we were in the lead by a landslide and, um, who were your teammates it, on that? Just to give perspective, because there were some rock stars. There were six. Well, there were six of us. There was like Miranda Oldroyd. There was Pat Barber, Alex Rollin, Molly Ballmer was on there, yeah. and um, we had like six of us, right? And yeah. I learned a lot about competing through that event because I learned that I am very competitive, and that you can never allow your competitive spirit to overcome what might forever hurt or injure somebody, and. We were so bought in, all of us, that we we were almost blinded to the fact that she had hurt herself, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, you do what you can at that moment. I'm not saying I did anything like crazy. I'm just saying I should have been more compassionate and I should have, it just was harder to walk away than, than it seemed. Yeah. Well, you, you'd, once I, poured, you know what I mean? you'd poured so much into the prep. I mean, it's really probably hard yeah. to let that go. Um, yeah. Well, and to go back and circle around there, you shared a mental model in the book that I think is huge that goes back to 2009 where you were dang near dead last. You could have given up. I think actually Dave Castro asked you if you want to give up, right? Yeah. And you said, what I love is you took something that some people could have just gotten pissed off and like made excuses, but you went back and reflected after and you said, you know, knowing what I know, what should I have changed and how can I improve for the future? And that was when I think the kind of the mindset coach came in and the, the two circles, can you, he basically put two circles side by side that basically impacted a lot of the future way you thought about competition and business. Can you go through that for everyone? Yeah. I mean, you know, Oh nine, I passed out. I was, you know, listening to DMX in my headphones. I was getting too riled up, too pumped. I didn't learn to control my emotions. 2010, similar experience happened. You know, because at that point I had gotten, I had climbed back up to fifth. So going into 2010, I was pretty much the favorite because I had a first and a fifth underneath my belt. And, you know, jets fly over, national anthems playing. I'm just fired up. And uh, again, it's an example of I just, I didn't control my emotions. And so 
in 11, I started identifying someone that could help me. And basically what you do is you compartmentalize, you know, two circles on the right, what's in your control on the left, what's out of your control, jot down all the things that are in your control and then decide to focus on that circle. And if you think about that in terms of competition, it's like, oh, what are my competitors doing? Is outside my control. Don't focus on it. What is this? What's in my control? What am I eating? How am I warming up? Did I double tie my shoes? Stuff like that. And when you start focusing on those, it just puts your mind at ease. And so that was a big factor for me going into 2011, 12, 13, et cetera. Was, did I double tie my shoes actually on there? Like, was that one? Oh, for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, cause think yeah. about that for a minute. I mean, even triple tie. I mean, if you're in the middle of an event that's, that's being won or lost by seconds, and your shoes come undone, that's a stupid reason not to win, you know? Mm-hmm. That's gotcha. some John Wooden level stuff right there. I'm just saying, you know, that's yeah. a, you know, it's it's all in the details, right? Especially when you get to the highest level, it's these little things that matter. You know, just like in your industry, when you get to the highest level and whatever you're doing, it's the small little details that can really add up. And I mean, I see that in business on a daily basis. I mean, our gym can be performing well, but for it to perform great, it's all in the little, little nuances that get the member from, you know, coming back in more often, telling a friend more often, these little steps snowball. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go there. Let's go to business. So I met you for the first time half a year ago, a year ago, almost now. And your reputation preceded you just because I'd, I'd invested some time in CrossFit and not to the level that you had, but I was familiar with kind of the, the core legends of the sport. And what was really cool to see was I had an image of, okay, here's a guy that obviously performs well in his sport. But when we sat down, I think it was for lunch, you pull out your phone and you're running over 20 gyms worldwide now. What's the number at? Yeah. It's like 22. Yeah. 22 all over that. You've got one in Cabo, right? You've multiple gyms in California, just to give some perspective to who's listening in. Yeah. And then Asia. Yeah. So, okay. So let, let's translate this and I'll paint a little bit of a picture and then I want to just hear kind of as you think about your business. Um, so it's really interesting because when you think about financial services, not that different than the gym business really, right? So you're helping people go from unfit to fit. A lot of our advisors, they're working with retirees. They have brick and mortar locations. Some of our biggest offices, multiple brick and mortar locations in their markets, helping people go from really not having a plan for retirement to having a plan for retirement. It's not that different than creating a legit workout plan, right? And I think some of the things that they struggle with is for you, it's easy to control Jason. Like, like, you know, if I put in the work, I get this result. Most of our top offices do as well. They've got kind of the core advisor that founded the firm. What's really tough is that transition to now it's not just all about me. Now I've got to train other advisors to basically perform at the level that I would perform. And they might be in different office locations that I can't literally be there right looking over their shoulder. So you pull out your app. I'm going to get to the question here, but I want to paint a picture. No, I get it. You pull out your app. And one of the things we preach a lot to advisors is in order to translate what's in your head to your team, you have to have a proprietary process. You have to have steps that follow that. It's like making a Big Mac at McDonald's, right? Here's how you make it. Here's the recipe. You pull out this app. It's literally, you've got an app for your team, not your clients, not the people working out, but your actual people running the gyms where literally you're firing off the workout of the day with instruction to them, the steps on how to coach it, 
I mean, you've invested some serious money into systematizing your business. So I would just love to hear your perspective on your running this thing like a well-oiled machine. How did it get there and what were maybe some mistakes you made along the way or things you figured out? Because it obviously didn't start that way. And I've seen a lot of financial services guys struggle with that. So I think it could be really helpful to them. Yeah. I mean, so if you look at our business, we have three verticals. Vertical one is open to the public location. So you could join our gym, right? Vertical two is corporate wellness. We only service a brick and mortar within a company. So let's just take uh, Western Digital is a large client of ours. Uh, Lucas Films, for example, we have a gym in their, their location. That's only for those employees, but we still need a service at the exact same way. It's just the demographic is different. One, the company pays for it. The other, the consumer pays for it. It's just different. And then the third vertical we have, which is our digital products. And what you're referring to is actually our digital products. So what we realized years ago is that I wanted to be more like Starbucks. Meaning if you get a latte one place and a latte somewhere else, you might have a better barista. And I believe in that. I think that it ultimately comes down to the barista. But they have certain guidelines and expectations that you can't have a really, really crappy latte and a phenomenal one, they're going to be within a certain, like, you know, guidelines, mm-hmm. right? So we started saying, how do we provide that at our gyms? And the best way we can provide that is by having in-depth every day exactly how we want things coached. Now, back to the service focus. So it's our job to develop world-class coaches, and there will be some that are better than others, better engagement, better personality. We need those people to be highlighted, of course. But if you're new to our staff or if you're still, you know, coming up in the ranks, we want to make sure that you know, hey, this is your timeline. This is how we want you to do this. And as detailed as possible, use it as a development tool on a daily basis. I think what happens in our industry and maybe in yours as well, you go past your test to be a financial analyst or whatever. Mm-hmm. You go past your test to become a coach. And then the learning stops. And for those that are excellent at what they're doing, they're going to go seek out additional learning, of course. But for those that are kind of like just okay with mediocrity, potentially, they won't seek it. They need to be shown it. And so for us, it's a daily tool to develop our coaches that they're required to read. And what we've seen is that the overall level of coaching from two years ago when we started this has now every day just continued to move up because it's a daily coaching development tool. And um, now we actually sell those programs to other gyms because we have a full-time staff that's creating it for us. Now we sell it to other gyms um, along with some of our other systems and procedures. And that's our new digital vertical that's been very successful for us because it scales so well. So just to make sure I'm hearing you right, because it's an app and I'm sure because you can monitor, like literally requirement to be a trainer at one of your gyms is, is it reading? Is it a video? What, what are you actually, how are you getting that knowledge into their brain? There's two videos a day and in-depth session plans for three workouts a day, every day. So we film six videos a day and there's five independent workout tracks and there's deep education for three of those five education tracks. And every single day, every one of our coaches is required to read the content and then watch the videos, both. How do you hold them accountable? How do you know that's happening? Well, I mean, you can watch their classes and observe if they're following the flow. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the answer is we, we don't. We can't guarantee that our coaches in Shenzhen, China are delivering it exactly. But from the feedback we hear is that they actually like having it. They look forward to it because it gives them a roadmap to follow to be successful. 
And instead of just being like, oh, go coach this class. It's like, no, here's the way I want you to brief it. This is the stimulus. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And, you know, it takes a lot of time for us. We've invested a lot of money, but I'm, I'm confident that it was the right move for our business. So I had the, obviously the, the benefit of having you lead a couple workouts and great coaches, no different than great financial advisors training other great financial advisors have a knack for simplifying the complex and, and breaking down, you know, in this complex movement, what are the core small parts of that complex movement? So are you the guy that's, that's the knowledge base where this is coming from and you're just blocking part of your day and just hammering out a bunch of videos to then be redistributed through the app? Or are you now training other team members to be those people training on the videos? What, what did that progress look like where Jason was the guy and now Jason's not necessarily always the guy? What was your model for that? Yeah. I mean, so we have a team that does it. I jump in when I'm not traveling. I travel a lot. And so we film on a once a week basis, basically all day. And we invite a group of coaches to come and help deliver with, with some kind of key captains involved who are really in charge of the quality. Mm-hmm. Delegating out was really hard because ultimately, you know, I had a mentor of mine once tell me, he's like, Hey man, I'm just letting you know, you have a hobby, not a business. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, your business is gone. And what it was was that I was a figurehead. I was doing most of the stuff. And after that day, I started working towards delegating and elevating our other team members. And we've seen significant success after that because now we put people in places who are really good at what they do. Let me focus on what I'm really good at. And as an entire team, we continue to grow and evolve. Not to mention, if I want to go to Europe for a month, I don't have to worry that the business won't continue to move forward. You know, if you're a financial analyst and you're a one-man show or one-woman show, you know, you might get paid 100 bucks an hour or whatever. But if you want to go on vacation with your family, not only are you paying for the vacation, you're also losing that revenue. So how do you replicate yourself? And the way you replicate yourself is by giving clear and concise guidance, direction, and going in that route. Except this way, basically, you could create trajectory for your people and for your business long term. Being a top performer, was that hard for you? That very first step at delegation? Yeah, for sure. Because you think you do everything the best, but you can't, right? I will never be able to do everything in our company the best because I'm doing everything. I need to just find where my ROI is at. You know, where's your ROI for, right? What are you uniquely good at is what I ask myself all the time. And for me, what I'm uniquely good at is business development, sales and marketing, or whatever, you know, creating a vision. I'm uniquely good at that verse. Am I really uniquely good at coaching? Uh, maybe, maybe, you know, am I really that good at, you know, managing a location, maybe, but is that really where I'm driving the biggest return for our company where we're at today? And um, if it's not, then you have an obligation to delegate out finances, whatever it is, so you can focus on what actually moves the needle. So I love in the book, your early story, because the cool thing is you were the guy starting out, like running the front desk, like selling membership, Everything. You know, yeah. probably mopping the floor. Um, and Joe, here's one thing that I took is you've always been open to seeking mentors out, right? You, you dude all the time. Where did that come from? Did you read that in a book somewhere? Was that what your dad instilled in you when you were young? What, how did that come to be? I don't know exactly, but I think ultimately what I learned at an early age is that if you want to move forward, you have to consume as much content as you can from those around you, specifically those that are currently doing or have done what you want to do. 
And I think maybe that came from my athletic career because in CrossFit, I would go seek out the best Olympic weightlifter, the best this, the best that. And I would learn from them and then implement that into my sport. Well, that then translated into business as well. You know, if I want to grow a multi-million dollar business, let me go sit down with people who have done it and find out how they got there. And I think that's really important still today is I was talking to a gentleman the other day. And I wanted to learn how to make these kebabs on this skewer. And doing these kebabs on a skewer are really hard because it's called kubade and it's basically ground beef on the skewer. And every time I've tried to do it, the ground beef falls off the bottom because as right. soon as I put it on the fire, it just drops off. And I'm like, damn it. And so I walk up to this guy and I'm like, hey man, can you tell me the secret for those kebabs? And he's like, yeah, 30 years of experience. And I'm like, okay, all right, I hear you. And basically what that shows me is like, you can't, you can't hack your way to doing something like someone can who's been dedicated their life to it for decades. But what you can do is I sat and I watched and I watched and I watched him for well over an hour. I just observed. And I'm not going to be able to do what he does tomorrow. That's fine. But over time, I'm speeding up my process because I'm learning from someone who's been doing it for 30 years. It's the same thing in the fitness space. You know, we worked on the handstand or whatever we worked on. I've been doing this for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I could speed up your progress so much quicker. And um, I think that's what mentors can provide you is like a they catapult you. Yeah, it's that uh, I got that from a mentor. He's like, dude, if there's anything in life you want to figure out, go seek out a coach that's been doing it successfully, helping people go from here to here. And you're just going to accelerate your learning curve, right? You're going to eliminate all the mistakes that you make if you just trial and error it yourself the whole time. So that's exactly right. Yeah, it's such good advice. So let's keep going here. I've got like four hours worth of questions and not enough time here. So we're am wrapping this uh, podcast here. So so you're the, you're Jason back in the day working kind of the front desk of the gym membership. There's this mentor named Joe yeah. that you talk about. And you said you wanted to own a gym someday. And what was the advice he gave you? He said, basically, if you want to be an owner, start acting like an owner. And that was really powerful to me because at the time he kind of walked away and I didn't really get what he meant. Mm-hmm. But later on, I'd see the way he interacted. I'd see what he was doing and I got what he meant. Like, if you want to be an owner of a business one day and you're currently a financial analyst or planner or whatever, well, what makes you think that if I just give you my company tomorrow, that what are you going to do, right? So you get a new business card and all of a sudden you're going to act different. You shouldn't be acting different. If you want to be an owner, start acting like an owner today. Develop those skills today and show the rest of the world that you are earning that trust. And that was a big, big takeaway for me. And after that day, started dressing a little bit different, not so much fancy, but I started acting a little bit different, picking up the, you know, instead of walking into the bathroom and seeing paper towel on the floor and saying, oh, that's the janitor's job. No, that's your job because you want to act like the owner. And as the owner, you got to take pride in the overall facility. And those are just the mindset shifts that really made a difference for me. And I think it's really important. You know, I think a lot of times people want to put the cart before the horse. You know, they want to get paid more before they act different. Mm. We'll start acting different today and then you will get paid more provide so much value to people that they have to pay you more. It's just, I don't know, it's just a different way of looking at it. Well, and what a form of leadership too. Like I was just listening to a podcast the other day and it was a multi, multi-million dollar company and the CEO would literally, they would do a uh, dinner for all of the employees. And literally the CEO was the guy at like the table serving his employees food. 
And, and so if you're the owner and you're humble enough to walk into the gym and you're not too good to lean over, pick up the paper towel, you know, off the floor and throw it in the trash, what a form of leadership to the rest of your employees as well. I think it translates in a lot of different areas there. And you don't even need to say anything, right? You just go do it. And you know what I think is really important for us in our culture, especially because we're a fitness culture, is like everybody needs to know that whatever we ask of somebody, they know. I'm prepared to do. And so is the leadership of our team. And I think that's where that, that culture starts with. And this starts with workouts, right? You can do workouts with different coaches or whatever, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know, no one should ever think that anything is below them or above them, right? But we should, or below them. Like I should never think, oh, that's below me. And, um, that's just the way that I, I see things. Right. And I don't know. I, it's, uh, it's worked out okay so far. Yeah. Well, there's something to the the leader that's not afraid to jump down in the trenches, right? I mean, it's there was a book, I think it was Dwight D. Eisenhower. It was a World War II story, and he had all of his generals laying out their battle plans, like on D-Day. And all of them were like, we're going to send the troops in. We're going to send the troops in. And all of them were like what the leader was going to tell their people to go do. And he basically listened And then he pulled out a piece of string and he sets it on the table and he says, I'm going to try to push this string and he starts pushing it and it's folding up on itself. Right. He says, here's how you lead. And he takes his finger and he pulls the string. Right. And it's a straight line right behind him. And like so much of those principles apply to business. I mean, that's how you lead. You, you model it and follow me. You don't say it. And I just, I love that out of the book. I love that out of your life, how you translate that to your family. I want to go there because, dude, that was inspiring. You opened the book with your daughter's story. Obviously, you said it's the toughest thing you've ever faced, and you faced a lot of tough workouts in your life. So can you tell a bit of Ava's story, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive off wherever that takes us? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, in sport, you think you're like pushing yourself, and in business, you have some tough meetings and this and that, but none of those are life and death, right? I mean, I've, I've blacked out, I've whatever. Yeah. Okay. You know, but when you get hit with them, you know, so our daughter was diagnosed with leukemia in 2016 and that's like real stuff, you know, like everything else is just, is just nothing when you get that type of news because nothing is more, there's not as much gravity and, but all of these different experiences led us up to this point to be able to really tackle it on. And I think that's the real motivation for the book. You know, I originally wanted to write a book about anti-hack, hard work, and what I saw. Then I ended up, this happened in our life, and I realized that every person should work as hard as they can at work, at their family, in the gym, so that God forbid anything ever happens to them in their life, they're in a better position to handle it. And that was the real motivation for the book, is that you never know when things could happen. And my motivation for creating a company and creating wealth is not because I want to buy new cars and watches and whatever. It's because if something ever came down, money becomes irrelevant, becomes a non-factor. And I saw that when she got sick, you know, our first bill, (laughs) I mean, we had insurance, but our first bill was 400 grand. Right. And, and now we didn't have to pay that. Right. But point being is that I saw what happened in our life and this is a money type of podcast. So I'll just share this with you. We were out of pocket, I think, 12 grand a year for the last four years because of medical bills. 
in the grand scheme of things, most people listening to this, they're like, okay, I can handle that, right? Thousand bucks a month, right? Which we were grateful to too. But what if you couldn't, right? Now you're out there, you're stressing because your child is sick. You have all these other factors and you still have to worry about paying your rent. And so the motivation for me today and forever is to help other families that are going through this. And that's why we do a lot of philanthropic work and we do a lot of stuff that we do because we were blessed to be in a position that because of the AMRAP mentality for so many years, when this terrible news came to us, we were mentally prepared because of all the adversity we had overcome in sports to better take it on. We had worked so hard in the business to financially be able to take it on. And then we had had real conversation, real being present and focused our family so that when this happened, we had better relationships to take it on. And if nothing else from this book, I hope people gather, AMRAP everything in your life. Be present, be focused, treat it like you're going for as many reps as possible with your family. If you're at dinner, be with dinner. Don't be one foot in, one foot out. Get the hell off the phone. Either have dinner or go outside and take a business call. Your choice. But don't try and do both, right? Have we, and I don't even know, we might have skipped over this because I've just, we totally I've been doing, it, yeah. so AMRAP mentality. So first off, AMRAP, as many reps as possible, like give an example of an AMRAP workout, just so we can get the mindset for people, what that means. If you're listening right now, I want you to do as many push-ups as you can in one minute. That's an AMRAP. Meaning during that minute, you're going to do as many push-ups as you can. You're going to be present. You're going to be focused on it. You're not going to think about anything else. You're not going to do anything else. And that's the focus. And then after you're done with that one minute of push-ups, you're going to go AMRAP emails for five minutes. You're going to start a clock. You're going to get through as many as you can while being focused, right? Not being like all over the place. Then after that, you're going to rest a little bit. Then you're going to go and you're going to play basketball with your kid for the next five minutes. These are each AMRAPs and you're switching gears between them as an example. Yeah. Which by the way, only doing a five minute workout. Oh, that's easy until you try to AMRAP it. Right. Yeah. Until you try to AMRAP <laughs> it. And the amount of workload you can get is so much more. Yeah. It's like a full out sprint. And, and it that's, goes back to the mindset stuff we were talking about. It really does change how you attack things. But so one of the things going back to your AMRAP mentality, just to recap those, number one, know your why. Number two, focus on what you can control. Number three, work hard. Number four, shift gears. Number five, reevaluate. So one of the things I took from your daughter's story, going back to the shifting gears that you just gave an example of, right? Like if you're working out, work out. If you're doing work, do work. If you're with your family, do family. Basically, you got some advice from a nurse. Like literally, you just received the diagnosis that your daughter has leukemia. You're on for the fight of your lives. And this nurse gives you some kind of interesting advice. Can, can yeah, you go through I'll, that and what that meant for your family? Well, it was actually before we actually knew, right? So oh, we just wow. showed up to the hospital. So we showed up to the ER. And at that point, you know, nothing was guaranteed, right? We just, we just showed up to the ER. We knew something was bad. Like, but we didn't know exactly what. And this nurse was just like, hey, I've seen a lot of stories in here. Just make sure to keep a date night for you and your wife. And it was just a really kind of like heavy moment because it kind of like, I felt kind of like placed like an, not an omen, but like kind of placed like a, like gray on us, right? Like, because we were kind of, it was still in like, we we're still discovery mode, right? Nothing yeah. had been determined. And then she kind of came in and basically acted like it had been determined. This is what mm -hmm. I think you need to do to keep your relationship tight. And looking back on it, I mean, she knew what was up, right? She, she had seen hundreds of families like us come through. So she already knew it was going to happen before we even knew. But it was a really powerful moment because 
as much as I wanted to tell her off because it seemed like she was kind of putting gray on us, mm-hmm. it was a valuable piece of advice because when you're going through something really, really challenging like that, the cornerstone of that relationship, my wife and I, has to stay strong so that it radiates out to everything else that's going on. And if we aren't having one committed front, one positive, dedicated focus on getting her better, then it's challenging for that to be throughout the rest of the family. And so we stuck with that. We had a lot of happy hour nights for a very long time because what would happen is the hospital, Stanford, which I'm forever grateful for, was like a 20-minute walk from this restaurant. And uh, the bartender got to know us, and we had some great happy hours there like once a week. Because <laughs> we'd be in the hospital for a long time. Yeah. And when you're impatient and you're grinding it out all day, you know, if someone wants to judge us for going to get a couple of drinks at night, then it is what it is. But that was what we wanted to do, and that's what helped us kind of, you know, be more adults, have good conversation, and then kind of create a plan for what we wanted to get done, and then go out there and do it. You know, what's so interesting is just going back to these core themes. I know we talked about mindset at the beginning, but the whole theme that you're talking about is, you know, you have a business so that it creates financial stability so that if you face tough things in life, like you face, like number one, you've got the funds to be able to, to battle through it, but going to relationships. So my wife and I weekly date night, that, that was advice given to us like early on. And we've gone through seasons in life where kids are little and it's chaos and that doesn't always happen, but we've really tried to stick to that. So we had a date night last night and we're basically having a drink at the bar after dinner. And right next to me, there's this older couple, like mid sixties. So, you know, I just strike up a conversation with the guy. It was their 45th anniversary. And I asked him, I'm like, if you could just share advice for us, we've been married going and we'll be 14 years this year. What lets you get to 45 years successfully? Weekly date night was his answer. Yeah. Him and his wife. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just so core. Like it's just, it's no different than those workouts you were doing. You know, when you were training for the CrossFit games, that's your workout and your relationship, right? That's, that's one of your core things that you, you just don't miss. And it was just cool to hear that reinforced in the book of like double down on the relationship when you're going through tough times and just hearing that from a nurse that had seen a lot of those stories play out. So. Now, yeah, I, I mean, sure that's heard that on here because it, it, I think it's it's just so core to that. It is. You know, we've always felt that way. We've always felt like hey, our relationship is number one because if our relationship isn't strong, then we can't put, you know, the best family environment. And you got to go have those tough conversations sometimes. And we've had our fair share, right? I mean, and I'm not even talking about like, oh, you have a disagreement in the way you want to raise your kid. I'm talking like real heavy ones where, but the more times you can have really good, open and honest conversation, the better off you can learn how to communicate and overcome it versus not even talking about it. And then all of a sudden it explodes. And so for us going through this transition, it was a two and a half year process, right? Of treatment. That's a long time to have these ups and downs and these hurdles. And through communication is the way we kind of take it day by day, week by week. And um, I think if you're not doing that, it's tough because, you know, it's not always easy to do these things. You have to make time for it and you have to be okay with, you know, most of the time the conversation can be super uplifting, good vibes. Sometimes you're going to go down a path that's going to be tough, but at least you're addressing it before it turns into something that's a lot bigger. Yeah, for sure. So another thing that unpacking the story of your daughter's diagnosis, I read something there that just was super powerful. And it was how, like when the bad news came out, 
no, I mean, I've got three kids that, that just, I tear up reading about you experiencing that, right? Nobody wants their child yeah. to ever go through that. And walk us through like right after that diagnosis happened and you and your wife step out and had a heart to heart. And then what that meant for how you showed up in front of your daughter as you were supporting her through that. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, as soon as we got the news, it was, you know, as you could probably imagine, not good. That was a tough, tough, tough night. And, you know, for us, you know, Ash and I went and talked in the hallway and it was really her who said, Hey, look, you know, you go tell all your friends or all of our family that, you know, Ava's sick, but as soon as they come into the hospital room, there will be no tears. There will be no negativity. We are going to be positive. We're going to go crush this thing. It was like a, it was like a really like powerful football speech. Like imagine like your best football coach just coming at you with the right words at the right time, you know, no tears will be shed. We will go crush this back in the room like that was it like just nothing else and you know and stuff like that that mindset and how was that mindset created i mean i'm not going to say that it, it was created only because of competition but i'll sure as hell say that it helped because just as i had to overcome adversity and challenges so did she and so she knew that keeping this full focus keeping this positivity was gonna be a great way for us to be successful because your other option is just to go into a ditch and become negative it's not there you only had two ways to approach this situation. Be as positive as possible, identify the cure, and go on the path, or become super negative, feel sorry for yourself, and see what happens, right? And I mean, I know which one I'm going to pick, right? Yeah. The cards have been dealt. What are you going to do about it, right? Going back to the what can you control and what can you not control, right? That's it. How that That's applied, it. what you applied to your athletic career, how that flipped over to the, to the family side. For sure. Super inspiring to me was how you handled it from a business owner standpoint. I'm just going to read this real quick. So this is out of your book in the preface. So this was Thursday, January 21st, 2016 at 1.44 a.m. You send an email to Matt, who is like your right-hand guy at NC4. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Subject, new path. I've never cried as much as I have tonight. It is with the tear in my eye that I say Ava has leukemia. I will be at Lucille Packard Hospital for at least a month. Treatment starts today. Until further notice, I don't want to be involved in any business. Maybe this is a day, maybe a week, maybe six months. I don't know at this point. Matt, perform all necessary duties. Until I say otherwise, you are the acting president. Let's catch up when necessary on necessary items. Can you please draft up an email to all employees? Let everyone know in the company that I don't want to talk about anything unless it's related to my daughter getting healthy. Thank you, Jason Kalipa. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's <laughs> powerful though, dude. Like there's a lot of people in that situation. They wouldn't be able to just pull all out and put full focus on the family. Like, how were you able to do that? I think that anybody in the same situation who had a team. Now, what's not shown in that email, there was a few other people on that email thread. Mm-hmm. That was verbatim what I wrote. There was a few other things like, Hey, this person, I'm not going to do this event. This person, I'm not going to do that. I just sent yeah. one email to like five people. Yeah. That was the one that, that like the one email was like, Hey, we have this seminar lined up, cancel it. I have this lined up, cancel it. But that was the bulk of it, right? That yeah. was what, Hey, Matt, go send up this email, go do this thing. And I mean, dude, when I wrote that email, I meant every word of it and I would do it 10 times over. Right. I mean, that night I'm just sitting there. I'm, I was reading content on, um, ALL, which is what Ava had, um, and just, I was consuming, 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 you know, all night, literally all night I was reading, 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 and you gotta be careful what rapidly you go down on the That's internet, right. but yeah. trying to read from good sources. 
And I realized right there and then, you know, it's at one forty-four in the morning. Dude, I, nothing else matters. Period. Like <laughs> that's it. It's the kids. It's the family, and the business can wait. And luckily, I had really competent people, and I'm forever grateful of that. And that's just another reason to grow your business, delegate out, and and you know, enhance what people are doing. So that if something like this does happen, you could write the same email. And I never want to wish that on anybody. But I think that's a good goal to be able to have. And, um, you know, you could look at it and say, was that hard to do? But just like me giving up competing in CrossFit, that was the easiest decision ever, right? There's no other option, right? This is where, because where your attention goes, changes are made, right? In business, where, where your attention is at, you can really make improvements, hypothetically. Mm-hmm. In this, my attention needed to be on the thing that mattered most. And I was educating myself. So I could be the best advocate I could be and do everything that was in my control. And me spending any time on anything other than that at that point was unnecessary. How long were you checked out of the business for? It's hard to say like what you mean by checked out. Yeah, because, I know, again, what... he's very competent. I mean, was it, uh, I mean, it six months? Was it? No, I mean, like, you know, I answered a few emails, made a few decisions, but not much for like months and months. I mean, yeah. you know, I'd say realistically for like a month, very little business was spoken of. Most of the conversations him and I were having were about getting our house ready for her to come home with mm. new ventilation, new stuff like that. It was more that kind of stuff yep. than like actual, oh, we have this business. Because for us, business opportunities were were put on, on standstill. So like if there was a new business opportunity, we were no longer pursuing it. We were currently just taking our current scope and just making sure we were doing a good job there. And here we are four years later, all is good. Right. I, I, I was going to say the business survived, man. I mean, it's here. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the business survived and I'd say it thrived. I'd say it's yeah. a, it was a good thing that this not a good thing, but it just empowered our team and it allowed me to be at ease when, when to let other people make big decisions. And again, we didn't grow, but we surely didn't fall behind. And there was always going to be time for that. And so yeah. I'm very grateful for that email I wrote. And that's a huge inspiration for anybody out there who has a business. To be able to write that email was one of the most liberating things I'd ever done because it allowed me to really just set the tone that nothing else mattered. Yeah. There was a book I read that like, you know, you've, you've got those core books that like, wow, that one impacted me. And one of the ones, it was a book, I picked it up off some podcast. I just, you never know where all this stuff comes from anymore, but not fade away a short life well lived a guy named Peter Barton that actually passed away, but he wrote it in kind of his last year or two of life. He was like, 40, 45, had kids, died of cancer. But there was a quote out of there. If you've got your health, you can always make some money, but all the dough in the world can't buy back your health. Isn't it clear that the person who compromises his health in the name of making money is cutting himself a really lousy deal? Yep. And this was a guy, I think he built like multiple TV networks that are still on TV today. And it was just sometimes when you're in those situations is when you actually realize what matters, right? It was cool to see you not only realize it, but then execute like boom and then follow through. And so that that was super inspiring. All right. So this is a podcast. I want to get more on a lighthearted note here um, as we wrap up here. Cause I know you've your wife has a little uh plan and you're 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 back to being a dad here in a little bit. So yeah, that's um, right. So finance, you made some fun early investments. Uh, oh I yeah. Talk, I want to talk about what you learned from those. I think one of them was pancake batter company and oh, batter blaster. So I've invested, 
I really thought Batter Blaster was going to be the next big thing. It was like pancake in a can, and you squeeze it out like cheese whiz. Sounds amazing. And <laughs> it was all organic. You can make one pancake, you can make two, you can make 10. It was just easy, right? And it was a really big investment for me at the time. I think I did $5,000, and I was like maybe, I don't know, I was maybe 18. And, you know, I learned a valuable lesson from that, and I invested in some land. I invested in several other things, a T-shirt company that we started. And I learned a lot from these experiences. And one of the things I learned is that if you're going to invest in something, you need to know about it. Like I invested in a land in Idaho. I think I did like five grand and I didn't know anything about land in Idaho. I didn't know anything about the scope I was getting myself into. I was taking on a moderate amount of risk and liability by, you know, maybe signing up to something that I'm on the hook for something. I didn't even realize mm-hmm. take batter blaster. I didn't know anything about the industry. I didn't know anything about the owner. My friends just told me it was a good investment. So I did it. and about t-shirt company i started one spent uh, ten thousand dollars whatever on it but i didn't know anything about making t-shirts and looking back on all these experiences you know i learned that if i'm going to invest in the things i need to know it uniquely well and know who i'm actually investing in, not just what i'm investing in i think these were really valuable lessons at an early age that have kind of stuck with me where for the most part i just invest back into our business because that's what I really know. And that's what I'm in control of any outside investments. Yeah, there's unique opportunities. I'll take them, but I don't know enough about the stock market to be competitive. I don't know enough about this to be competitive. I'd rather just stay in my lane, focus on getting the biggest returns I can by reinvesting the money back in our own business. And through these experiences, man, I just learned that you can't control other people that you don't know. And you can't really dive into something if you don't know enough about it. It's tough. Yeah. That's some valuable lessons and you've doubled down and doubled down again on things you do know and you are passionate about. And that's obviously paid off once you went down that path from an investment perspective. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. All right. So let's wrap here a few philosophical questions and call it a day. Does that work for you, Jason? Let's get philosophical. All right, cool. So a lot of our offices, so we're working with advisors all over the country, a lot of travel, sometimes different conferences. You've done your fair share of workouts on the road. If you've got a layout, here's the core workout. I need, I've got a little bit of time in like a hotel room. I don't even have a workout facility. What's your go-to? Well, I mean, good question. First off, you got to start a clock, right? So I just got back from Germany yesterday, the day before. And first thing I did when I got off the plane, 10-minute AMRAP, right? All it is is you can go five push-ups, right? 10 sit-ups, 15 squats, AMRAP in 10 minutes. Go as many rounds as you can. That's an easy go-to where get your whole body pumping. Five push-ups, you have to do them on your knees, forget it, do it. You know, 10 sit-ups, get after it. Lay on the floor, sit back up again, 15 squats, and go as many rounds as you can. That's an example. Another example is set a clock for 10 minutes, do 10 burpees, drop to the floor, come back up again. Do 10 every minute on the minute for 10 minutes is an easy goal. If you want to try and ramp it up, try and go 12. If you want to ramp it up, go 15. 15 is pretty tough. Speaking of happy hours, I think it was over a happy hour. I got talked into a hundred day burpee challenge where you do a hundred burpees as fast as you can each day. Yeah. Burpees never get better. No, I've it, done millions of them. They don't get better. Yeah. Okay. So let's go there. What's your, this is maybe not a philosophical question. I'm just curious more than anything. The worst CrossFit experience or workout experience of your life, like this workout or series of workouts shredded me where like I was on the ground, couldn't move. Well, I mean, it would be in competition, right? Because emotions are high, a lot on the line. And so it'd be like 
you know, you're this Camp Pendleton, I, you know, the military base. I did a triathlon there once, and it just lasted forever. It was 10 miles just up and down, up and down of running, plus the bike and the swim. And these Marines on the corners, we'd be like, hey, how much longer do we have? At that point, I was like jogging at best. And they'd all say the exact same thing. You have close to a mile left, sir, or whatever it was. You have close to a mile left. And I'd be like, after a while, I would just be like, thank you for your service. Just kept jogging because I knew exactly what they'd say. But from the first Marine to the last Marine, it was like, how long do I have left? You have about a mile. <laughs> that was the worst experience because it just never ended. And it was always the same exact thing. Anyways, that was an example. That was bad. They said just about a mile, about eight miles ago. Oh, right. dude. And I mean, <laughs> you're talking 10 miles. It is straight up and straight down. That sucked. And because yeah. they give you like this beacon of hope, like, oh, you got a mile? And then you start seeing yourself, well, maybe that guy was a little bit off. Maybe it's like a mile and a half. You'd be like, well, maybe that guy's. And then by like the fourth guy, you're like, dude, this mile is not happening. <laughs> that was their, that's probably their favorite activity every year is just mess with a bunch of athletes running by. Oh, dude, for sure. <laughs> All right. A couple more here and we'll call it a day. We were talking before we went live here and you said you consume a lot of books via Audible. Um, obviously, just tune in and listen to them. Is there a core book? that really impacted your life or maybe you've gifted a book over and over to friends or anything like that? Yeah, yeah I got to read it again. But um, Mark Cuban's Sport of Business really, maybe it was just a title that changed me. Maybe it was whatever, but just treating business like a sport kind of changed the way I looked at business. You know, we talk about sport, but a lot of times in baseball, you know who you're going to play, you know what the game is, but in business, you never know who's coming at you and they're coming at you 24-7. That's, that's cool. It's it's funny how much you've translated what worked in sports to your business. Um, I've I've seen that theme over and over in the book. Yeah, um, gotta get after it. All right, let's wrap with this question because one thing I don't want to do is upset Ashley. I oh. I always take make sure you you respect the wives. So if you look back and take this wherever you want it, it could be sports, could be business, could be family. But if you had one piece of advice for those listening in that's led to your success and where you're at today, what would that piece of success be? Or what, or advice around that piece of success, I should say. I mean, it depends how you want to determine what success is. I mean, I think at this point, yeah, I, I would say that we have success right now, right? I mean, Ava's healthy, business is good, family dynamics are right. We've gone through our fair share. I think that you're not going to get to where you want to go, and I'm not even at where we want to go without overcoming adversity. And so I think we, we should remind ourselves, like, I think about a few things, right? The first thing I think about all the time is like, well, you're okay. Meaning that there's a lot of really bad things that happen to a lot of people. And when you're driving in your car and someone kind of cuts you off, or maybe they're going a little bit slow and you get all pissed off and go in front of them and you get all crazy, like just take a step back for a second and realize like, it's all good. Like be easy would be the recommendation. Like there's a lot of really terrible things happening to a lot of people. And if the worst thing that's happening in your day is that, then you should be grateful for that and find the positive in that. And I think that on a daily basis, we find ourselves getting wrapped up in a lot of things that really don't matter when you actually take the, when you really peel it all back, you could find the positive in almost any situation. But I think a lot of times people naturally gravitate towards the negative. We need to get away from that. And um, I think if we all just look at the world through like a pair of beautiful glasses versus sunglasses, 
you'll see that there's there's a lot of things you can be grateful for, and that'll take in your attitude. And when your attitude is more of a positive light, you take it into different situations, you'll find that it creates a snowball effect, and all of a sudden, results start happening. If you're negative when you show up to the office, that negativity breeds in other people, and you won't get to where you want to be. So I guess that's a long-winded answer in a kind of remaining positive, especially through adversity, and keeping in mind that there's always something you could look at and be grateful for if you actually open your eyes to it. Has that been hard for you? Has Have you grown in that over your years? Oh, yeah. And I can't expect everybody to have that same mindset because they don't have the same life experiences, right? Yeah. Maybe their life experiences are completely unique. But what I do know is that there's not a single person I've talked to, no matter what you've gone through in your life. And I'm not saying what I've gone through is any better, worse, or any different. There's a lot of people who have gone through a lot of really terrible stuff, right? But you can't tell me sitting there with your life experiences that looking at the world in a negative light with a gray haze over it is going to benefit you in your life. It's just not like there's going to be no beneficial thing that's going to come from that. So you might as well suck it up, find a way to compartmentalize what has occurred to you and move forward in a positive trajectory towards where you want to go. Because then that breeds excellence to everybody else around you. And that helps everybody move the ball forward. But you know, haven't you been at a party before where you get some dudes just negative all the time? No one wants to be around that person. And they might have gone through some stuff, but no one cares. Yep. You know? <laughs> yep. Get over it. Get positive. Move forward. Let's go. Yeah. What you focus on just breeds more of that. So might as well focus on the positive. Might as well. Well, Jason, dude, I'm super grateful for this conversation. I was really looking forward to it. You delivered on, on every angle. So thanks for carving out some time in your busy schedule. And I want to let you get on to the kiddos. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Really appreciate you uh, letting me get on the show. And yeah, if anybody wants to go check out the book, obviously you can find it on Amazon as many reps as possible. If they want to find out a little bit more about me, they can just go to the website or Instagram. I'm pretty active on, but it's just Jason Kalipa. And more than happy to answer any you know fitness related questions if someone has it or whatever else. Cool. Thanks, Jason. Till next time, man. All right. All right. Have a good day. Thanks for checking out the latest show on to this week's featured reviews. This week's first review comes to us from user C. Bernard. Five stars, great information. Brad does a really good job of providing valuable information in a timely manner. This latest podcast hit close to home. We're going through expansive growth and our systems are lagging, causing us to fall to that level. Thanks for providing this for us. And the Mr. Thank You project was a very timely one for the holidays. C. Bernard, thanks for listening in. Really appreciate the review and congratulations. You're normal. It's okay. Most successful advisors, uh, I like to call it, they become a victim of their own success as many of the top performing offices have faced this as well. And once you hit those levels of expansive growth, systems start to break and lag and fall apart. So no worries there. That means that you're growing. And the great thing is there's solutions to bust through all of those glass ceilings. So thanks for listening in. Don't hesitate to reach out if there's anything myself or my team can do to help and love to connect in the future. The next review comes to us from user Nick S14, five stars. Grow as a person and your profession. I started listening to Brad's podcast to be a better financial planner, but have found through his guests, such as John Israel and Jim Shields, it's making me a better person and father. Thanks, Brad. Nick, 
I appreciate the kind words. I come from the belief that if you sacrifice your family for a better business or more money, you're really cutting yourself a pretty lousy deal. So I just love the fact that not only is the podcast helping you in your business, but it's also helping you out in the job that really matters, which is that of being a husband and father. So congrats on finding the John Israel and Jim Shields episodes. Both of those two guys have helped me better show up for the people that I care the most about, my family. And I'll do my very best to keep seeking out other guests that that can benefit you both in life and in business. So thanks for listening in. The last featured review for this week comes to us from Pete Bush, CFP, five stars. Thank you for Mr. Thank You. Huge fan of this podcast, but I have to say that your episode with John Israel tops them all for me. What's cool about it is that my son started selling Cutco this summer on his own and actually qualified for a trip to the Cutco home office factory in New York that he recently completed. It's been a great experience for him. And now I get part of the reason why. They have guys like Mr. Thank You in their organization. I hope we get to meet at some point. I'm a big strategic coach guy, 11 years, and follow many of your guests and people you read and follow. Keep up the awesome work. And thanks for making such a great contribution to the best industry on the planet. Pete, thanks for the amazing review. It's one of the best ever. I mean, that's just so real and honest. And also, for you listeners out there, Pete put the episode with John Israel into action. He actually sent me his own personalized thank you card that he had custom printed. I think his shirt actually said the grateful dude on it, which was funny in itself. Had a picture of him. Uh, He's taking gratitude and appreciation to a whole other level. So maybe it's something you all can model out there. And I'm sure his clients are feeling that as well. So for those of you that missed the episode with John Israel, go back to episode 53. If you want an easy way to get there, bradleyjohnson.com forward slash five three. Definitely a game changer. One of my most downloaded episodes ever, but really it's just all about gratitude, which is something we can all use more of heading into November and Thanksgiving. So once again, Pete, thank you for the kind words and the amazing review and just got back from Toronto and my first visit out to Strategic Coach. I'm learning directly from Dan Sullivan and I have to say he lived up to all of my very high expectations. Maybe we'll cross paths in the future at a Strategic Coach event. And if not, give me a shout. I'd love to connect before. So that's it for this week. And for those of you that have interest in diving deeper or figuring out how you may be able to have our team help you implement many of the ideas shared on the show, my day job happens to be consulting financial advisors from all across the US on how to grow their business and design a practice that serves them versus them serving it. And yes, it is possible to actually grow your business and work less. It's a model we've replicated over and over in markets all over the country. So if you'd like to apply to see if it makes sense for us to have a one-on-one conversation on how to overcome what may be getting in your way, you can do that at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. Takes about five minutes to fill out the application so we can understand what your business looks like, what challenges you may be facing, and how myself and my team may be able to help. Taking the first step, it's as simple as applying at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash apply. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening in. And I will catch you all on the next show.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint. For access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from our show's guests, visit bradleyjohnson.com. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners. It really does help. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation.